recording. Okay. All right. Here we go. Let's give this a shot. Let's do it live. We have to go back. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. I'm Ricky. I'm Grayson. And today we are reviewing the 1994 uh, biopic. Yeah, it's a uh, biopic. Yeah. Uh, Ed Wood. Ed Wood. It's it's definitely a biopic. Uh, maybe the weirdest biopic that <laughs> it's ever been made. Yes. Yeah, uh, Ed Wood is a 94 biopic directed by Tim Burton about the career of Edward D. Wood Jr. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Johnny Depp plays Sir Edward Wood. Yes, Ed Wood, since it's a biopic, was a real person uh, yep. known for some, uh, I think it's fair to say, low-quality films. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, most famously Plan 9 from Outer Space. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's I think that the big one, um, but he would only do like one take on things uh, oh, yeah. and it was like first take, best take kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So in honor of that, this whole episode will be first take, best take, yep. uh, mistakes and all. Oh, no cuts. Cut yeah. and print. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we haven't done this since I believe it was the Saw episode. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> And I am more scared for this than I was for the Saw episode. So we'll see how this goes. Yeah, we sure will. Uh, now, before we go into the movie of Edward, let's go a little into the history of the actual human being, Edward D. Wood. Now, Edward Wood uh, was a very much like in the biopic. He was a guy who existed in the real world who was just really wanting to make movies uh and the parallels to him and tommy Wiseau are like startling like he he just wanted to make his own movies mm-hmm. uh and people misunderstood his vision and he kind of made compromises in certain areas and it, it's it, he he had like a really challenging just overall career film wise in fact he didn't really become famous until two years after his death in the 70s um he actually sold off the rights to his movie uh plan nine or actually all of his movies from my understanding for like a dollar um he was like that kind of broken down and destitute um now his fame kind of came afterwards kind of in the 80s so after he passed um he was named worst director of all time. Yeah, and they uh, mentioned and this in the credit sequence as well at the end. Kind of mm-hmm. had a resurgence once people are like, oh, man, I got to see how terrible this is. Exactly. Plan 9 was named the worst movie ever made in a book called The Golden Turkey Awards. Uh, before the internet existed and before Rotten Tomatoes was a domain or a idea in some web developer's mind, uh, people read books about how bad movies were. Uh, and because of that, like... He got a lot of notoriety. Uh, They became the focus of an entire segment uh, in the movie. It came from Hollywood, which was basically like a clip show before clip shows. Like imagine if you would 
um, you know, like a YouTube countdown of the worst movie moments. Like that was what it was. And pre home video, pre like super clip showy things like from the Internet. Uh, this was a big standout in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he had three of his films, which were riffed on Mystery Science Theater 3000 uh, and. In 1991, his life became the subject of a biography named Nightmare of Ecstasy, written by Rudolph Gray. And then enters the movie, Ed Wood. Originally, this was supposed to be a miniseries uh, with Mm. uh, Michael Lehman attached as the director. uh, And Tim Burton was... They got Lehman? (laughs) They got Lehman. Uh, And Tim Burton was supposed to executive produce, but then they... uh, Flip-flopped, and um, Lehman produced and Tim Burton directed. And um, originally, I mean, they had to cut a ton of stuff because, you know, miniseries are longer. Uh, But then we ultimately got the Ed Wood movie that we see today. Um, Now, the budget for this movie was $18 million, which uh, cost more to produce than all of Ed Wood's films put together. That's fun. Yeah. Um, and the box office made five point nine million. Uh, it was Tim Burton's first film to not do well at the box office because this is nineteen ninety four. Tim Burton. This is post uh, all of his Batman money, mm-hmm. so it was his first thing that didn't do as well. Uh, but, but even though it didn't do well financially, it still. Uh, was winner of two Oscars that yeah. year for best makeup and best actor in a supporting role, Martin Landau playing oh, yeah. uh, Bella Lugosi, which he is incredible in this movie. Uh, so I, I think it just goes to show that even though it's not a financial success, uh, it, it can still garner critical acclaim. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it basically became a cult classic. A, a, a good-natured reviewer once described it as the story of the least successful director of all time as told by one of the most successful directors of all time. <laughs> uh, and the movie was really interesting because, like we said, it's sort of a biopic because uh, instead of going straight forward by, like, this is what Ed Wood's life was, like, they – they told his life through the lens of one of the movies he probably would have made. Right. Uh, it has like that, um, you know, Pleasantville type of feel. That's like, mm-hmm. oh, gee, golly. Like it has that kind of uh, tone to it. And it's really, really uh, fun. And yeah. you know, or I, I think I, Tonya, uh is that the movie where yeah, I, Tonya was pretty stylized as well. Yeah. yeah. So very much in that uh, vein and uh there an interesting thing i found out is that uh you know the movie's shot in black and white a lot of a lot of people say it's to further the style uh there is a rumor uh that it's because nobody working on the film knew what bella lugosi looked like in color oh <laughs> and so they said well let's, let's keep it in black and white just because uh because he's such a big focal point in the movie that's interesting. I thought it was because the cinematographer, the cameraman, has that scene where he says, like, oh, I, I can't see colors. I'm colorblind. I'm co- <laughs> he goes, uh, I guess I like the dark gray dress on the left. Yes. Yeah. It's it interesting because be the – Well, <laughs> well, because the poster of this is all black and white except for the Angora sweater that he mm-hmm. wears, which is done in pink. 
so when I saw the poster, I was like, I don't remember there being like a pop of pink in the middle of this. Um, but they do reference colors pretty frequently enough for it to be kind of a joke that it's in black and white. Right. Yeah. But and, it's, uh, um, yeah, pretty interesting to kind of see how they played with the style in general because the uh, you could tell that this was made, Tim Burton obviously loves film, and it's obvious that this was made by someone who loves these kinds of movies and like grew up with it the way that the cameras move just the 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 grain that they even throw in the touchstone logo uh the way it's lit because lighting black and white can be very different than lighting color and all of it is done with such care that it's just kind of an impressive feat even when it says the end underneath it it says filmed in hollywood usa and like that's just a thing that makes it feel that much more authentic so that was fun to watch Oh, yeah. Uh, One of my favorite things uh, was, so we see Vincent D'Onofrio as uh, Citizen Kane himself. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, he's playing Orson Welles. And it's obviously dubbed over uh, with a voiceover artist, famously uh, Maurice LaMarche, who... You know, 90s kid might recognize him as The Brain from Pinky and the Brain. Yeah. Uh, and also any other time you've heard like a prominent Orson Welles impression, it's more most likely uh, really the March. one. Yeah. Um, but it's because Tim Burton was unhappy with D'Onofrio's performance. He's like, uh, get me a professional. Get me The Brain. And that's <laughs> that's how that happened. Um, another thing that happened, Grayson, mm-hmm. is uh, the title sponsor of our podcast, uh, Don Cajitos, uh, oh, yes. made it a cameo <laughs> reference into the movie. Uh, and there's also so many great tie-ins. So, you know, Orson Welles complains the finances keep on falling through through his Don Quixote. Uh, I can't even know what it is anymore. Don <laughs> Kahito, a picture, and then in 2000, Giant Depp took part in filming The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. Oh, you're right. Yeah. With Terry Gilliam directing, and after years of delay, 18 years of delay, it was finally released. Yeah. Force majeure. Force majeure. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. The Vince D'Onofrio scene was so strange because it was obviously dubbed, like you said. I thought they had tried to piece together old Orson Well quotes to kind of make the the dialogue because it I mean the brain sounds exactly like Orson Welles yes. uh, so when I read it was Maurice LaMarche I was like oh yeah that makes a lot of sense mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that makes a lot of sense um, yeah th- this also I feel like each episode I've been really just interested in the score for these movies but uh, Tim Burton famously has a incredibly long relationship with Danny Elfman. This was the first one that they did not work together on. The first Tim Burton film that did not have Danny Elfman scoring it. Mm. Instead it was Howard Shore, who Howard Shore has done tons of stuff, maybe most notably Lord of the Rings. But he um he took the place of Danny Elfman. I don't think it was the kind of thing where like Danny Elfman backed out. I think it just didn't work out to where they were working on it together. But that's only happened three times ever and this was the first one. Wow. Uh, so that's uh pretty impressive I'd say as far as partnerships go. Yeah. No, really impressive. Like I, I was really surprised that um, Helena Bonham Carter didn't make a, you know, making a cameo in this movie. Vampire, like, yeah. 
feels hollow for some reason. <laughs> I I can't quite place yeah. what's missing here. Yeah, if it was if it was made today, it probably would have been Vampira. Instead, it was Lisa Marie who would work with Tim Burton again on Mars Attacks. Uh, oh. She was the Martian girl in Mars Attacks. Yeah, nice. Yeah, um, but yeah, there's so much happening in this movie, and I feel like there are points where Tim Burton just is messing with the audience. Like there was. The, the scene right before he comes out dressed in the full getup and he's not wearing the teeth and everything that opens with the musician playing what sounds like the drums, but we're looking at him hitting the piano that broke my brain to have like <laughs> drum music coming out of the piano. And it's just stuff like that where he's using the film medium to get that effect. And that, that that's a lot of fun to see. Yeah. Yeah. So I had never seen this movie before, but it, oh. it, in the film world, I've definitely heard of Ed Wood. Some, someone actually recommended the movie as like a cautionary tale. They're like, hey, you should watch this movie just to know that no matter what your vision is, like you could be like a bad you could be Ed Wood and yeah, not know it. Not even know it. That's <laughs> the scariest thing. He didn't know it. And if you look at Ed Wood, like the actual Ed Wood's imdb the man's imdb just read the titles of the projects i'm not gonna say any of them just it's sad you know it's you can see the the kind of trajectory as he just realized what it was but starting out could be scorsese could be spielberg like he that's i mean it's not what he's thinking because they were babies back then but he is like (laughs) trying to become one of the greats and he doesn't know how bad he is. And I think that is terrifying for any artist. I actually, I just had this conversation with my wife after I watched the movie. I go, honey, I, may, I might be Ed Wood. She's like, you're not. It's like sometimes, sometimes you just aren't. So that was reassuring. Yeah, I mean, he has over 80 writing credits. I mean, he, yeah. he wrote a lot of movies, but it, I mean... Like like the the guy who he talked to at the studio, he's like, "Listen, I don't make good movies. Like, I make garbage." Paraphrasing, um, and it's just like like that was where like it, it felt kind of sad just because it's like, well, I mean, he wants to make movies, but he had to keep on compromising on like what he got to make because like the thing that I got the most from is just like, oh no, like it's show business like he kept on trying yeah. to find work just to keep his friend employed and i was just like my heart's breaking like well here's is... the thing here's oh. the, so that scene with mike star where he's he's talking they're kind of negotiating and mike star's like i don't make those kinds of movies that scene is done basically the same in trumbo with brian cranston and he's having that conversation with john goodman but one of them is Ed Wood, and one of them is Trumbo, both trying to do the same thing. Trumbo was doing it for different reasons, but they're at the studios being like, hey, I know you don't make these kind of movies, but I can be different. I can get a, I can help here. And there's just completely different outcomes. And so you got to just really hope that you're Trumbo and not Ed Wood. I mean, yeah, he has over 80 writing credits, but just think we have over 100 episodes of this podcast. Oh, what this, no. I mean, what are we doing here? <laughs> I haven't been this paranoid after watching a film since uh, The Truman Show, I think. is <laughs> This is The Truman Show, equi- the professional equivalent of The Truman yeah. Show. Yeah, absolutely. You well, would never know. I mean, you you look at this movie 
like watching the parallels between Ed Wood and Tommy Wiseau, for example, like I going into the movie, I had the same kind of expectation of like, oh, man, like I've seen some of their original works. I know it has to be like so bad. Let's see the making of isn't this going to be so funny and entertaining? And then you leave the movie thinking, I'm sad now. This was someone's dream. Someone wanted this. Someone made choices and said, yes, Uh, keep going. And I'm like, oh, I feel bad now, like, because it, it, it really is just a testament to, like, you know, especially because I mean, I'm coming from a background like I went to film school, like I, my goal was to like make films and contribute to entertainment to entertain mm-hmm. the masses, um, and I had so much. And still kind of have that same dream and passion that drove both him and Tommy Wiseau. And both of them, in seeking fame, became infamous for being bad. And that does terrify me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I get it. Uh, I remember, Uh, Grayson. Yeah. I remember sitting in your living room, sharing with you one of my video projects that I filmed in college. Do you recall mm. this? Yeah, I believe so. I, I since since the showing, I have I deleted it from everything just because the reception was so bad. Uh, I was so proud of it, Grayson. I was so proud of it, and then I showed it to people, and I just realized how bad it was. Mm. And I was so. I never realized it until then. I'm like, oh no. We are all Edward. Anyone who creates, I think, I think to some degree you have to be. You have uh, to. There's, there has to be a balance there, and we especially learned this back when we were doing stand up. You have to fail oh, in yeah. order to get better. Uh, I mean, it's it's like it's working out. Like you kind of break yourself down and go through the pain to ultimately be stronger. The key is to get stronger and to yeah. improve. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. It's scary. It's scary. Yeah. Um, I would be remiss in my duties if I did not just say the shining beacon in this film, Bill Murray. Uh, This is the film that convinced me. I I had seen this movie back in college, but I hadn't seen it since then. I had totally forgotten that he was in it, and I don't know how. Because when I rewatched it, I was like, Bill Murray is absolutely the most comfortable in any role. Like, he just steps into it and makes it his. And I think that was the really encouraging thing to see of how, like, a performer can be that consistent. I was like, man, Bill Murray. I mean, the characterization of Martin Landau and Johnny Depp and and all of them was amazing. But there was something about Bill Murray where I was just like, wow, all is right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, I mean, the acting is just phenomenal. And it, it, I, I was just, I was just really impressed with everyone's performance. And Johnny Depp, I think he gets, because he has been known for playing a particular type of role, I think mm-hmm. he gets written off a lot. Yeah. I mean, He's I believe he, I believe yeah. he was Ed Wood. Like, I, mm-hmm. I truly believed that he was just this, beady-eyed little filmmaker who just wanted to make stuff and he's Mm -hmm. like oh i'd use stock footage to make this whole movie i'm like i believe you 
Yeah. I believe you beady-eyed Johnny Depp. And this movie actually came out around time for him and his career where he was kind of, you know, not necessarily on his way out, but just kind of not inspired, you know, creatively hmm. by the kind of films that were being made. And so this really was um, another one that kind of uh, was a turning point for him. Well, when Tim Burton offered him the role, he accepted it within 10 minutes. Wow. He, like, he knew that he wanted to do this role. I mean, one, it's Tim Burton and they have a history together. But two, it's a very interesting character to play because he's got a lot of internal conflict. He has a very clear goal going forward, which is very actable. And he is, if a lot of times, he feels simultaneously both the protagonist and antagonist in any given scene. And that is a very strange dynamic. So yeah. I do think it takes someone that is well-versed in the character acting like Johnny Depp to be able to play that balance. And you see that arc. You see a very clear journey with this character. It makes yeah. sense that this was going to be a miniseries because there's a lot that they have to kind of wrap up with in all of the, the end text to tell you where to go. But I would have been fine continuing watching this because you were just observing this very interesting character, this engrossing character. Um, and Johnny Depp, I think, just just nailed it. But yeah, Martin Landau getting the Academy Award is completely warranted. And it was the first time that an actor won an Academy Award for portraying another actor, uh, which is pretty interesting. Uh, and even his son signed off on it. Bella Lugosi, sorry, I should say, Bella Lugosi Jr.'s son, uh, he had reservations about how his father was going to be portrayed because obviously he had his own kind of inner demons towards the end there as they show in this film. But he was like, no, that's accurate. Like, And he became friends with Martin Landau eventually. Um, but they, uh, he was concerned over how his father would be portrayed. But he said it was, it was completely accurate. The only thing that seemed off was that he said his father didn't swear so much. That the original Bela Lugosi, he, he didn't you know use profanity as much as was portrayed in this. Yeah. Uh, but that that's a testament to just doing the research, uh, being true to the source material. And even though there's like goofy subject matter a lot of the time, this film is truly paying respect to the people that lived it. Uh, and I think that that's admirable and being able to stylize it at the same time. Yeah. Not an easy feat. Like if you were to say, Hey Ricky, um, I don't know, do a stylized biopic of like Steven Spielberg. I would Done. say, are you mad? No, I can't. Oh, actually that would be pretty fun because you could do his inspiration as being a child in film like a Spielberg film. He's on the bikes. You got the sh the uh, the shadows with the the flashlights and yeah. Okay, fine. Like, I'll produce okay, it. You that's direct good. It. We'll do it. Okay. Yeah. The Spielberg <laughs> biopic is greenlit. Yeah. The monster that he's pursuing is his own passion for film. Aww. There, there you go. <laughs> now. One of the one of the projects that so Ed Wood did a lot of movies like this. This movie particularly focused on him and the movies he made 
um, with uh, Bela Lugosi and their relationships. And there are a lot of movies that he made like before he actually got to Plan 9 from Outer Space. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the ones that I wish they would have really dove into was one called Head Cannon. Head Cannon. <laughs> <laughs> Headcan is a part of the show where we share with you unique ideas about the movie and untold stories based on evidence provided by the film. Yeah. Now, you know, with biopics, this is really difficult. It's tough. Uh, we ran into this with Chaplin. Like, yeah. the life was lived. Yeah. Just like, yes. my headcanon is uh, he <laughs> still he lived happily ever after. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, there is a bit of headcanon um, that, I, I, that I have based on the novel pushed by sapphire okay thank you um that was plan eight plan eight was the novel pushed (laughs) by that uh no but like um there are a lot of like really bad b movies that Mm -hmm. are made right right my head canon is that um they all are um Basically, an Ed Wood biopic of actual events in fictional universes. Uh, okay. Okay. So, okay. So I'm going to use the episode of Futurama. So there's like an episode in like a later season of Futurama where Leela uh, goes off to like this planet to write. And then she comes back and she's like this really great writer for a kid's TV show. And they're like, wow, like, how'd you come up with this? She's like, I don't know, I'm just inspired when I'm in space. And then they travel with her and she's just documenting like what is happening on this very kids like planet uh, where all these, but imagine like if Barney was just a retelling of a giant magical dinosaur appearing <laughs> um, before children or if Sesame street, uh, well, no Sesame street's real. Never mind. Um, or like Teletubbies, like Teletubbies yeah. is just yeah. a documentary from a different planet that we're just retelling. Got it, um, yeah. Is that a lot of these really bad B movies are coming from the same place where it's just like, yeah. And, you know, they they helped this man out of his grave as he was rising. And uh, that really happened. Yes, that really happened. And so um, Ed Wood was just ahead of his time. He's actually a really good documentarian. Documentary. Yeah. 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 No, I, I buy that. Yeah, they're like, where do you get your ideas? I guess they're just out of this world. <laughs> See, he's not lying. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, it's good. I like that. Uh, for my headcanon, I have to... So I know Ed Wood was a real person, uh, obviously. But for my headcanon, you have to uh, kind of forget about that and treat him like a character instead so that the character of Ed Wood... Uh, with like he ended up getting married to to Kathy O'Hara, played by Patricia Arquette, and, and everyone like like he went on had this life, but as his loved ones started to pass away, he became a recluse because the original Edward he passed away in his fifties. But in my head canon, he became an old man. He grew up. Eventually, he gravitated towards uh where his old friend Bella Lugosi used to um gravitate towards which is like this very gothic type feel like castles uh like that kind of like shadows that kind of thing um but he also still had all of these old props so like a lot of uh sci-fi like robots things like that and he filled this castle with 
this robot prop material. And he would tinker with them. He had a good time. Uh, he always kept that thin little mustache, but Ed Wood would eventually become a recluse and grow up in his sci-fi castle alone until one day that he created a, uh, a robot in his image from his glory days uh, and named it after himself. Uh, and that was the invention of Ed Wood Scissorhands. Hidden in plain sight. Right. Which is also great um, be, because, uh, I mean, there's a lot of connections between the inventor and Edward Scissorhands, Edward Scissorhands and Ed Wood. I mean, both Tim Burton. Um, I mean, Vincent Price was very much in the same kind of realm as, as these movies uh, yeah. for a lot of his career. I think it just makes sense. I think it just makes sense. Ed Wood Scissorhands. Ed Wood Scissorhands. It's in his image. Wow. I like it. I like it a lot. Nice. All right. Now we're going to go to the part of the show where we like to talk about recast and remakes. Recast. Remake. If this movie were to be remade today, uh, who'd you cast? What would the storyline be, and what role would Helena Barnum Carter play? It's just, you know. It's got to be Vampiro, can... right? Uh-huh. Yeah, it's Vampiro. Yeah, That's it. Vampire. In the segment, um, I really think that if they were to try to do it today, it would definitely be like a Netflix series. Um, yeah. I also would think that it would be interesting to see, like, almost like a, a drunk history kind of style, mm-hmm. um, where basically they – they are retelling the making of each movie uh, based mm. off of whatever the novel talked about. Yeah. And so, but I would also want it to be directed by different directors. Uh, I really mm. love uh, Tim Burton's style, but I would love to see like, you know, what Wes Anderson would reimagine um, one of Ed Wood's movies or even for them to just go like, it's a, uh, hmm. Like a, like it's some kind of Ed Wood uh, marathon and calling it uh, Holly Edwood or something like that. And it's just different directors take on recreating his original movies. Just like mm. they, they're just given his script and they just make it. Uh, they make it to the highest production with all the dialogue. And like they only change um, their budget basically. Like everyone's yeah. just given like a pretty conservative, oh, what if, no, they do it on the same budget he had. That would be Oh, that would be an interesting challenge, yeah. Yeah. This just became a reality show, yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that, I mean, definitely works as a series uh, regardless, even if it's more fictionalized type thing, because then you can have the A story being his personal life, and then the B story is that project he was working on at the time. Yep. Uh, I like the idea of the different directors. Like if it's Wes Anderson, then you get to keep Bill Murray in it. That, that's a <laughs> given. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, I uh, I don't know who I would recast it. For some reason, too, though, you mentioned the series as a Netflix series. I only picture Amazon Prime doing this. <laughs> yeah, true. Or Amazon Video. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know why. Maybe, uh, but for the recasting. <laughs> what? Maybe Hulu. Maybe who? Maybe, maybe. 
Um, but yeah, I, for the recasting, maybe it was because of Disaster Artist, but I could not get Dave Franco out of my head while I was watching this. I think if it's a non-Franco doing it, maybe Colin Hanks, but it would it would probably be a stretch. I, I, I think the Francos are probably solidly there. And then to play Bella Lugosi, Christopher Lloyd. I think he would be amazing. Oh, be amazing. my heart would break. Yeah. Uh, no, that's oh. really good. I, I honestly think that Joseph Gordon-Lovett would be a really good Ed Wood. Oh, he would. Yeah, that's yes. good. Yes, Grayson, he, he would. He got to see how I'm spelling it in my head. I should say it. Um, oh. but, but if not him... I would love to see um, Key and Peele reprise. Like, uh, Keegan-Michael Key would be Bela Gossi. Uh, Jordan Peele would be Ed Wood. And uh, it just, you know, just, I would just love to see their take on Ed Wood. But also, like, that's that's why I'm imagining, like, the drunk history just, like, where the drunk history style where they're recreating, like, someone else's, like, dialogue. Yeah, um, and they're just reacting oh, yeah. it, even with all the different uh, mess ups and hiccups and things like that. Yeah, I also looked at the thing about the casting with the film here, though, is that the casting is so on point with how they talk and how they look and everything. Uh, I looked up Criswell, the psychic, mm-hmm. and Jeffrey Jones, like his hair and everything is very much like it. I would recast uh, Alan Tudyk to play him. I think he would oh. be able to. Oh, yeah, he'd be great. Have the psychic appeal. Yeah, nice. And yeah. then just, you know, bring back Bill Murray. Bring him back. Bring him back. And then for Orson Welles, I just get, you know, Maurice LaMarche. Just cut the middleman. Just yeah. give us mm-hmm. the guy. Right. But I would dub him when Vincent D'Onofrio. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Right. So like <laughs> it breaks even, and then there'd be like these fan cuts where they mix the audio, and like yes. this is what it would have sounded like. And then you redub Citizen Kane <laughs> with Bill Murray. I would actually love that. That would be great. Yeah, I. Well, we need to end this podcast so we can get on that. <laughs> we gotta get to work. All right, now we're going to go into our final segment where we give you our reasons to recommend. So, Grayson, why would you recommend the 1994 movie Ed Wood? I recommend Ed Wood because it really is probably the most bizarre biopic you will ever see. And that's why I watched it originally, mostly out of curiosity. But uh, while the subject matter is very strange and and odd, the uh, it's executed in a in a fantastic way. I've been a Tim Burton fan for a long time, and most of the time you're able to just step into the mind of Tim Burton, like Nightmare Before Christmas, and I mean all of them. You're just like in his world. Edward Scissorhands, same kind of thing. With this, is interesting because he's in the the rules of our world, of what happened. And so I think in a lot of ways it feels more tethered, uh, in a good way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like this was... Um, a great directorial challenge for Tim Burton, but he still made it his own. Yeah. So uh, we've done this occasionally. If you're looking for like examples within a director's catalog to look at and like formative films for them, I would say look at Ed Wood for Tim Burton, even though it's really it's not like the, the Beetlejuice style or anything like that, but it was important for his growth as a director. So 
um, if you're interested in, in that side of film, I definitely recommend taking a look at Ed Wood. And it's the story of someone who has a dream. I think the character of the eternal optimist is a very uh, attractive character to follow. Um, I mean, that's what made Disaster Artist such an interesting story. It's like, here's a guy that just believes. Why does he have such optimism and sometimes it comes across as arrogance i get less arrogance in ed wood i get determination even to a fault Mm -hmm. but that is such an interesting thing of like why has he not given up because giving up is easy and i think we want to see strong characters do the hard thing and here's a guy that just gets knocked down over and over again but keeps going and just creative solutions and a little bit of luck, but really hard work. And maybe he didn't end up where he wanted to go, but I mean, he got a biopic made after he did something to catch people's attention. And I mean, that's the story worth telling the different thing. He behaved in a different way. So I would recommend it. Uh, the acting's phenomenal, but ultimately it's an interesting story to follow and an attractive, uplifting story. Ultimately, I, I interpret it as uplifting of someone who pursued their passion unrelentingly. Uh, and so that that's what makes this uh, a fun movie and a worthwhile movie. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I Watching this movie, I, it wasn't anything like what I expected it. Uh, to be because I think with a lot of like B movies or like movies that are like the worst movies ever, uh, it really uh, brought to light this idea that for me, like, man, like this podcast is based on the, the principles of film. No, uh, this podcast (laughs) is based on the idea that every movie is a miracle. Uh, And seeing this like, portrayal of a a real guy who existed who just because in theory like i mean we don't know like the 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 real facts about it but like how he was portrayed like this guy loved movies so much that he was willing to make it no matter what like Mm -hmm. he he fought to make these movies happen and because he loved making movies um and the idea that he had so much i love my one of my there are two of my favorite lines in the movie which is we don't have a permit run uh, but also um when when uh the wrestler bumps into the wall and he's just like hey didn't you want to get another take he's like no that was good you know it adds realism you know a guy his side probably has you know struggle with doors like that every day i'm like oh my goodness he that oh yeah i i don't wow yeah okay um because it reminded me uh one time i was on a video shoot and someone said like ah we got some pretty bad shadows and and uh our director of photography actually said yeah there are shadows in real life and i was just like oh oh, all right i uh i guess that's uh that's one way of looking at it, uh, but I, I I really think it's it's so. I I think just the subjection of what makes a movie good is so vast, and I think it's interesting to see 
a, a guy who made so many movies and so many like quote unquote bad movies that he became famous for because he he failed so spectacularly that people were really in awe of it. Um, and to, to borrow a, a quote from um, Michael Jordan, I can accept failure. Everyone fails at something, but I can't accept not trying. Mm. And uh, and that's from a guy who starred in one of the greatest movies ever made. So, right, yeah, that's that's, uh, that's my takeaway from Ed Wood, Michael Jordan's quote, <laughs> and uh, yeah. it's also really a good movie, uh, especially if you are in. If you are a creator of any kind, um, like whether it be film or not, like this movie is so essential to watch, especially because you like it, it, the creative process is frustrating and challenging, and you have all these different ups and downs. And the fact that any movie gets made literally is a miracle, and it it makes me appreciate even the movies that would be deemed bad. Yeah. What I got from that was that Ed Wood is the Michael Jordan of filmmaking. <laughs> so that's high praise. That's exactly what I was saying, Grayson. Thank you for right. uh, being my translator. 100%. Uh, <laughs> and that is our review of the 1994 movie Ed Wood. Let us know what you think of the movie Ed Wood on Twitter. We are at Flashback Flicks. And uh, we would love it if you left us a rating and review on the podcast listening platform of your choice, just wherever you're at, let people know that this is the podcast that is worth um, listening to in one take. Just take one sitting one take. through yeah. all of our podcasts. If you if you find yourself uh, arriving to your destination, maybe you ar- arrived to work. Go in late. Listen to this in one take. Take the challenge. Uh, and sorry if you get fired. Yeah. We can't help you. No, we, we, we no. cannot. Uh, and rating-wise, on a scale of one to five plan nines, or one to oh, five plans, What a confusing scale. Yeah, yeah one right? to five plans thing. <laughs> on a scale of one to five plans. Uh, I assume that the first plan can't be good if you're making five plans. The fifth yeah. one has to be the best. Yeah. After that, you start to decrease in quality. There, there is a, a mountaintop effect, and plan five is the peak. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And be sure you tune in next time right here on the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. Until then, remember to be kind and rewind. Oh, wait, let's see. Let's get it. Let's get the sound in. I think we did it. I think we did it! Next time on the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. In honor of Wreck-It Ralph Breaks the Internet, we're off to see The Wizard. Not of Oz, we already did that. Just the 1989 Fred Savage hit, The Wizard. It's cleaner. Save up your quarters.